0: The Art Dealer Diaries are brought to you by Medicine Man Gallery, located for over 26 years in Tucson, Arizona, specializing in antique Native American art, early Western art, including the famed Maynard Dixon, as well as modern art. You can find everything online at medicinemangallery.com. There's over 6,000 objects to select from. Also, the Charles Bloom Murder Mystery Series, written by yours truly, me, Mark Sublett. Six books in the series, and they follow the protagonist Charles Bloom through all the intrigue of the art world set in Santa Fe and the Navajo Nation. These can be found on Audible, eBooks, Amazon, and of course the gallery at medicinemangallery.com. Michael McKissick, Waterbird Traders, was uh, my guest today. Interesting man who's been doing this kind of Native American artwork since 1959. That's really when he started doing his first piece. So he's one of the oldest individuals still uh, buying and selling in the business. He's nearly 80 years old and hasn't lost a step. He tells about how much he loves the material and kind of how it's affected his life and how he made a living not only doing other things in the world, but also as a Native American art dealer. So Michael McKissick, very interesting if you want to learn about the back in the old school of the Indian art business. I have Michael McKissick, Waterbird Traders. Finally, Michael. We've been doing <laughs> been this show in Santa Fe for like eight days, yeah. and every day I'd go over to Michael and say, eh, Solo. Go. Yeah, but when you're solo, that's one of the things. You're doing this show by yourself. You're 80 years old.
1: Well, close enough.
0: 79 yeah. Yeah. plus some months. But you're old. you're an older exhibitor, mm-hmm. and you have to do it all by yourself, and it's really hard. Pretty much. Oh. Although
1: I have had an ex-business partner of 20 years ago sort of give me some help because I've got some knee issues. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, but he's been a big help. So anyhow, I have to really mention him. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but you've had a great show, too. Yeah, I've had a good show.
1: I've had a good
0: show. So we were talking on the way over here, and I found out that uh, you've been in the business for a very long time. But what I don't know about you, and I I hear a Texas accent, I know you live in Texas. Where'd you grow up?
1: I grew up in Texas, basically. I'm from Oklahoma. I'm from a uh, little town called Sand Springs, which is a yes. suburb of Tulsa now. Yeah, it is. But uh, my dad worked for uh, he worked for the Atomic Energy Commission during the war at Oak Ridge, and we lived in Oklahoma. He was working out there, and when he was through with that, he moved. We he got a job in Houston right after the war, 1945. Right. Well, it was yeah, 1945. Right. And we moved down to Houston and lived down there until 55. And when were
0: you born? Oklahoma? I was born in Oklahoma. But you were in Houston as a little As, a, as a child. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, uh, when I was three, we moved to Houston. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and what that. did
0: he do down in Houston?
1: Uh, he was a, a salesman initially. And then he worked as an executive, raised himself up in the company. And mm-hmm. ex- eventually he was the... I don't know what his exact title was, but he was the president of the northern division of the company and the executive vice president of the whole
0: company. Mm, wow, so he did really well.
1: Yeah, so he 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 had made a man of himself. He was an old oil field worker. Yeah, uh, my granddad worked for uh, Phillips Petroleum servicing the what they call Christmas trees. In uh, you no, know, what is a Christmas tree. I should yeah, know that. I think they're got something to do with the valves and bells and whistles of the way the distribution Uh goes Uh in the oil field
0: and so so he made it more as an executive at the end yeah yeah Yeah.
1: he uh, unfortunately died at the age of 69 from lung cancer he was a man of his time and drank and smoked like Uh crazy and it caught up with him bless his heart and it took me it took his death to get me to straighten up. Yeah, because you were frankly. smoking and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was doing everything you didn't do. Yeah. And, uh, and it still took me a while, because that's an insidious thing. Oh, yeah. So anyhow, anybody that's out there that smokes, don't <laughs> do it, it'll kill you.
0: <laughs> well, and so did you grow up in Houston? That
1: uh, pretty much, uh, we moved <laughs> in 55 when I was 13 and we moved to Fort Worth. Mm. And That's uh, a switch, really. Yeah, that's super, it was, sort super, yeah. of. And I moved, uh, I went to high school there and uh, uh, graduated from high school. 60, uh, 59, which you were talking about when I developed an interest in this material. Yeah. How
0: did you develop an
1: interest? Uh, When did you first? Well, I was working for a a fellow named Les Bowman, who was an old ex-World War II fighter ace uh, in Cody, Wyoming, uh, that had bought a hunting outfitter outfit. Mm -hmm. And I was the wrangler and took care of the horses and shooed stuff and whatever. Um, How'd you end up out there? How'd you end up? In uh, a friend of my dad's knew him and had hunted up there. And there were a lot of heavy duty guys that went up there. There was a guy named Colonel Townsend Whalen and, and a lot of old time Ted Trueblood, who was the old original publisher of outdoor, uh, what was it? Uh, outdoor Life. Yeah. Is that outdoor the name of it? Life, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, Anyhow, I went up there, and uh, I was sort of familiar with things, and I learned quick. And we were doing grizzly bear hunts. And, wow. Yeah. And um, spotting sheep for the sheep season and doing fishing, trout fishing stuff. And Had I you was, hunted and fished at this point, or was that all around No, I was ir- doing it a little bit, but I was more taking care of the horses when the bears got after us. Yeah. And the, which was a fun thing to do. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Because they'd shoot one and maybe not hit it right and we'd have to go after it in the bushes. Oh yeah. And hunting a wounded grizzly in the bushes is not a fun thing yeah. to do if you're you know yeah, yeah. being seventeen years old or however old it was. So you're still
0: in high school when you're Yeah, doing I this? was I was a
1: yeah, yeah, I was still in high school. Anyhow, I worked up there, but the, the, the Indian aspect of things took place in the all the businesses and the bars, I have to say, mm-hmm. and such, had Native American material nailed to the wall. I mean, it was almost like you couldn't even put your hand up there without touching a piece. And this is
0: Cody, right? Yeah, this is
1: in Cody, and, and the Whitney Museum was like, in a log cabin at the time. Oh. There was nothing up there there. And I just loved this stuff. And I was riding rodeo in the Cody Stampede, riding bucking horses, and, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And it cost $15. That was a lot of money because I was getting 50 bucks a month. And um, the Indian people would take blankets and put stuff out around the perimeter of the, you know, the rodeo grounds. Uh And um, I walked around and I'd see stuff, new, uh, new stuff, old stuff, and I bought a pair of moccasins. Because there was a guy up there that came to hunt named Bob Six. Bob Six at the time was married to Ethel Merman. Ethel Merman had just done Gypsy mm-hmm. on Broadway. And they flew in and were bear hunting and drinking a lot. And, uh, but anyhow, he had a pair of Cheyenne moccasins that I just adored. And he'd go off through the bushes, and beads would just be flying everywhere, and I just hated it. So anyhow, <laughs> I bought a pair of moccasins for 26 bucks, and Mr. B. Bowman, who I worked for, just tore me up. Because, son, you'll never get anywhere spending your money on crap like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> And were these new moccasins? No, they were they old they moccasins. Were old. Yeah. But I bought a pair of fully beaded moccasins instead of a pair of fully quilled moccasins uh-huh. because they fit me.
0: Uh-huh. And you were going to wear them.
1: I always wear I have a warm occasionally. I didn't want to wear them too much. Uh-huh. But uh, we'd go down in the, um, there was a, a creek that ran down through the area. And the Indians have a, had a camp down there. And we'd go down to eat dinner with them and stuff. And um, it was a fun thing to do. And I learned a lot and I met a lot of nice people. Uh, I know there was a couple of times, that I'll tell one story that... Uh, there was a couple of cowboys from Montana came down. They were riding an old, I don't know what it was, a 52 pickup or mm-hmm. something like that. And they came bouncing into the camp, and they had a tarp thrown over the back of the thing and pulled up all these guys gathered around everything. And they threw back the tarp, and it was full of dead eagles. Oh, my gosh. And they had been shooting eagles, and they sold them to these guys, five bucks a piece. And it didn't take... Uh, 45 minutes, it was, all of them were gone. But boy, you talk about stink. Um,
0: and, were, so those, <laughs> and so those were sold to the Indians, the, the the Indians because yeah, they the wanted indi- them Indians for their bottom, costumes. They wanted them
1: for costuming and they wanted them for ceremonial purposes yeah. and everything right. else. But these guys, some of the ones on the bottom had been there a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you wow. know? But I, I remember that specifically because I remember. And where we worked at the L.B. Bar Ranch was the name of the ranch. It's on the, was on the Shoshone River, the, south fork of the shoshone right up past coulter's rock past buffalo bills old place Mm -hmm. because i used to buck hay at buffalo bills old place and um above all the major buildings the blacksmith and the uh, garage and everything else was a dead eagle spread eagle across the thing and Mm -hmm. feathers were all over the floor you know the ground and people driving over them and everything else And i picked up a bunch of them i remember and took them home with me of course this was back yeah, just about the time they were well fifty nine. It's about the time they passed the law. Yeah, so, so, and all that stuff going gone now. Yeah, know, but but I just hated to see that. Anyhow, that's yeah, that's no, how that, I got started.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so you got started by really being around Native Americans. You bought some beadwork yeah, work from right. them, right? Right. And so you come back to high school from that. Where mm-hmm. you, did you mm-hmm. have one more year of high school? Or did you grad? I graduated
1: your- in '60 and went to college. Went to college for. A year, and then I went to work and driving a truck. I drove a truck for a while, and then I went to, like, to college for six months. And then I didn't, you know, didn't have any money, so I had to work and. And yeah. then in 63, I went overseas and lived in Paris. Okay, and, let's,
0: let's back this up a little. Because oh, okay. there's so, a lot of things that have gone on. <laughs> that. Yeah. So you graduate from high school. You go right. to what college you go for a year? Arlington
1: or two. State College at the time. And now it's Arlington State University or ASU. It used to be in the A&M system. Now it's in the University of and, Texas. And you
0: just thought, this isn't for me. There's something else out there. Um, pretty much. I wasn't an academic
1: kind of person of that kind of mm-hmm. academics. I was a painting and drawing major. I mean, I had, you know, I, I was an art major mm-hmm. at the time. Were and,
0: you drawing and painting as a kid doing a lot of that? Yeah,
1: yeah, I would used to get a kick out of doing that. Did
0: you ever think you might be an artist as a living?
1: I didn't think I'd be able to do it. I saw too many people that tried to do it and couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, and then I was also interested in this other stuff. And I had some material and I met some people that had some material, and I sold some stuff to somebody else and made 10 bucks or whatever it was. And I sort of thought I might like to do that.
0: So, and that was the Indian material we were buying and selling at that time. So, you were kind of starting to trade in it right after high school. Exactly. And where would you find material?
1: It would show up in shops. There was one old gentleman named, uh, um, oh, golly, what was his name? Frank Williams, he had been an associate professor of education for the DISD, the Dallas Independent School District. And he had an antique shop. He had retired and he handled a lot of Indian material Mm -hmm. and I'd get stuff from him and he'd let me take it and pay it off and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So that that was nice.
0: And were you selling it because you go, oh, I can make a living on this? Or no, was it no, to help it you? was just
1: something that I'd get a new piece. So you to could, get get more, yeah, I I could get more artwork, right? I, I was putting stuff together, yeah, yeah, put together a little collection, which actually was the foundation of the shop when I opened my shop originally. You know, the initial uh-huh. uh, collection was was my inventory.
0: And so you bounce around working, work driving a truck for a while. Yeah,
1: I drove a truck and then I was a salesman and, and uh, I designed uh, or I help design uh, um, cryogenic systems for um, hospitals and oil field servicing companies and different kinds of applications, uh-huh. uh, like squirting liquid nitrogen on old tires to make them break up easier and things right. like
0: that. Yeah. And what was your dad hoping you would do? Uh,
1: my dad was working for his company,
0: Yeah. you know. Did he ever think, oh, come work for me, son?
1: Yeah, and I did. And that's something out there, kids. Don't work for your dad. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't work out (laughs) well. No, he was a a legend in his own time. Yeah, so he was tough. It's hard. you got to do twice as much to get anything done. And and I loved him dearly, uh, but it's tough to work for your family.
0: And he was tough. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he was a tough guy. Yeah, he went the through
0: war, war. he was in World War One. He worked on a, No, he wasn't in World War. I mean World War II. Well he
1: wasn't in the war. He yeah. went, he was in the war effort.
0: Yeah, I got it. Yeah. But he worked on yeah. the weld. Yeah, he oil. was a
1: master welder. Yeah. Is how he made his living. Yeah, that's and, a tough, uh, tough yeah, it's weird. tough, tough way to make a <laughs> world.
0: so then you go do you decide you're gonna to go to Europe?
1: Yeah, I went over to uh uh buddy of mine and I decided we'd go to somewhere. So we got together some money. I put together 500 bucks and we flew on a non-sked airline uh, called Overseas National. Mm -hmm. And you go from Gander, Newfoundland to, no, wait, McGordy Airport to Gander, Newfoundland to Shannon, Ireland to uh, Frankfurt Mine. And we got off the plane and we were just wandering around. In Germany. In Germany. Yeah, Yeah, in Frankfurt. And went downtown and bought a 1953 Volkswagen for 250 bucks, and put it on down the road and drove all over. And, and, uh, um, well, where'd we go? Went to Stuttgart, stayed in Stuttgart a while. Went to Vienna, lived in Vienna a while. Went back down through Nancy, went through Paris, lived in Paris. Went down to Austin-Provence, went to... uh, uh Nice. you what, 25? T- no, I was I turned twenty one in Germany. Oh, you were young. Yeah, so kid. this was yeah, right was after you. So yeah.
0: you didn't really have any plan. You just wanted to see no, Europe. No, we just
1: wanted to see Europe. Uh-huh. It was Europe on five dollars a day. I mean, it was one of those kind of uh-huh. deals. And it was it was cool. And we uh we poked around over there for Oh, I don't know, several months. and
0: Were you looking for any material, uh, Indian material at that time? I didn't see, no, I wouldn't. You, I wouldn't you, inter- were, you were probably I was, more interested in girls. I was and, interested in getting and, something and to eat. A, and a yeah. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: No, yeah, well, we won't get into that aspect of it with respect. Huh. But, uh, to my wife. But, um, no, it was a really great trip. I met a lot of wonderful people, people that I wish I had kept up with. Yeah. One thing that I did look, see when I was over there, uh, Indian related, I worked in a movie theater, a kino, in a little town called So You had to earn some money. Yeah, yeah, we were money. trying to make some money. I was <laughs> driving a truck in Paris, and anyhow, uh-huh. but we we um, um, got a job in a kino. He was running the popcorn machine, and I was running the projector and all that. And in the news reels, mm-hmm. they had a thing called Indiana Klubman. Which is the Germans have loved since Karl May, right? In great his, writer, yeah, yeah, great, uh, great German writer yeah. for them. Uh, who was a? Hey, we don't get into. Yeah, that. never went to America. Yeah, uh, but anyhow, uh, these guys made wonderful beaded material and outfits, and they were all dressed up in teepees and hat and bonnets and everything. And they had a uh, newsreel on mm-hmm. these guys. And it was really interesting. And I thought, oh, and it sort of rekindled my interest mm-hmm. a little bit, maybe. I don't know for sure. And was
0: that in Germany? Yeah, something? I was in Germany.
1: Yeah, in Boelsbach <laughs> which which a middle town between Stuttgart and and, um, and.
0: So how long did you stay in Europe?
1: A couple, three months. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were there long enough to enjoy ourselves.
0: And then back to?
1: Back to the USA. And then Charlotte, my wife of 55 years. Uh-huh um and i had been dating before i left and she was a a now they say flight attendant for american airlines mm-hmm. and when i got back we started got back together again this was in 1964 and got married mm. and they made her quit because at that time stewardesses couldn't fly
0: if they were married they made
1: them. yeah they're married so they they made them <laughs> they made them quit uh-huh. So anyhow, that started, you know, and then we had three kids after well, 66, 72, 73. So what, so what happened when the yeah, Vietnam War came? Did you already have I was, kids? No, I was busted up. I had busted myself up playing football uh-huh. in college. And uh, I was, uh, I was, they one wide me at the time.
0: What was a one-y?
1: One-y was sort of a deferment for somebody that had a, uh a medical def- uh something mm-hmm. you know and um uh, and it was early in the war if it had been 67 boy i'd have been cannon fodder mm-hmm. it's being 64 it was early in the game so uh, yeah
0: they know. didn't need the bodies. and i got
1: married that made me a two oh two Y. and then when we had our first child in 66 that was three Y. and i had a deferment up till 30 and by that time they had taken care of everything mm-hmm. you know so Nam was luckily not in my yeah not in my background yeah because a lot uh, of
0: the dealers in our business oh yeah, yeah, yeah or... Bob,
1: uh, Bobby Vandenberg and, and uh, Bob Capoon and a lot of a lot of people right that I Jim know that, that went the, yeah and Jeter a lot and of people Higgins, yeah, Mike a Higgins uh Jeff Hengispaugh mm-hmm. and they saw the they saw the elephant mm-hmm. over there. you know it was it wasn't a pretty thing,
0: and so when you are back, you get married, you got a couple of kids. What mm-hmm. are you doing as for a living? What are you? What are
1: you I'm working for this company uh, doing this this cryogenic thing.
0: Oh, so you're doing that? Yeah,
1: and uh, I actually worked for them for 20 years, and uh, but I was doing the Indian thing as a sideline. 72, I opened up a bank account under the name of whatever trader. Yeah, and. In 1983, I had 20 years. and I retired. I was 40 years old, and I said, "I don't want to do this anymore." Yeah, yeah. I got my $158.72 pension check, and yeah, <laughs> and opened a gallery in Dallas, and, uh, and that was 83. That was 83, and uh, it took off. I was really surprised. Actually, the reason I opened it, one of the reasons or one of the incentives I had was I came out to Santa Fe here. And people that I met at parties and whatever were from Dallas mm-hmm. or Midland or Lubbock or right. Houston or somewhere like that. So I, you know, there's a need, I thought. Mm-hmm. Turns out, I find out that they these people to like to come to Santa Fe and yeah, buy it. They don't want to buy it from some yokel in, in Dallas. <laughs> but I'd hang stuff on my wall and have price on it that I thought was you know nuts. and. People would come in and look at stuff, and then they'd go to Santa Fe and bring me something back. It was exactly like it. They'd pay twice as much, sometimes even my own stuff, that I would bring out here and wholesale to dealers. And they'd buy it out here and bring it to me and say, look what I bought.
0: Did you ever think, well, maybe I should just go out to Santa Fe and open a gallery there? No, I did. I wouldn't have done that. Because t- well, I had
1: yeah, I had a I had a family and and a uh, wife and kids and I wouldn't have done that to them. This it was tough enough when I left the business that I was in. Right. Because I had to make sure that I had back money, insurance, you know, you've got to you've got to take care of your family. That's the right. basic thing.
0: Right. So and that was 82, 83 that you opened. Yeah. But you've been buying and selling kind of all along. Oh, yeah. All the whole time. <laughs> were you all going to shows and things like that? the 60s
1: and 70s. Well, I started doing shows. Yeah, I started doing shows in 70, I want to say 72. Mm-hmm. And I did the first ones here. And I, I was, we were talking, coming over here, 70, I think it was 76, one at the Hilton. Mm-hmm. And there were other shows. There was one show I remember that Kim Martindale was involved in that was at the Hilton, and they took all the furniture out of the rooms and made like individual galleries.
0: Yeah, it would have been like, probably the early Don Bennett show, I would imagine. Could have been, yeah.
1: But anyhow, that was nice.
0: And so you started to meet all these people and develop relationships with yeah. these dealers. Yeah,
1: I knew some of them already because I'd been doing it mm-hmm. with, with some of them. I knew, uh, oh gosh, who do I know? Well, I knew somebody, some of the people. But, uh, Robert Parsons and I were good friends. We used to drive up to, uh, he lived in a little town north of uh, Paris, Texas, mm-hmm. and I'd drive up, pick him up. And we'd go to Chicago and do the old rhodium shows together, mm-hmm. and uh, I used to call the place the omnivore. And what was he doing at that time, Bob? Robert he, he had was... an apple orchard. Yes, that's what I thought. Yeah, and his dad had property up there on the Red River, and uh, then he closed that and moved to Towson, this has become very successful as a painting dealer.
0: yeah. Yeah, but first was Native American art. First for, was na- yeah for the, for a very long time. Yeah,
1: he he dealt in weavings primarily. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of beadwork, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but primarily fine weavings, good weavings.
0: And do you think those shows that you did were important in building the whole business, not just for, oh, sure, just Perpetuated the interest
1: right. of other people and and um, uh, sort of you know drew a drew a great crowd of people into the into the Indian collecting base Mm -hmm. yeah and
0: so when you open your gallery in 83 why Waterbird Traders
1: I it was Native American church thing I thought it was nice I liked the uh um I knew some people that were in the church in the movement and uh I chose the logo you know because I thought it was sort of neat and Mm -hmm. distinctive Mm -hmm. and um you yeah, know, why do you do like that. Right. Why do you, why do, you do things like that?
0: <laughs> and so from '83 mm-hmm. till now, really. But you've mm-hmm. been you've been in this. Were you in the same uh,
1: building? Did you, no, I was. I was in my original building from '83 till 2004. That's a long time. Yeah, and I was. This was leveraged, in Dallas. right? yeah, in Dallas on Greenville Avenue. And I was leveraged out, I think is the term for it. Uh Uh, There was a a used blue jean shop that's biggest market was SMU and Uh kids and stuff next door to me. And they went to the guy that owned the place. And unfortunately, I'd sort of let my lease run out. And I was just working from month or year to year. And he came to me and he said, they're going to move out if I don't give them your space. you know." So he gave me 90 days. I'd been there 21 years and they gave oh me 90 gosh. days to get out. And I don't—I just left a bunch of stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, not Indian stuff, no, obviously. No, but but stuff. You know, showcases and desks yeah, and crap that I didn't need. And uh, I had a buddy that was a flea market dealer and I called him and I said, here's the key. Hmm. Get in there and you can have anything you want. Uh-huh. He was very old.
0: <laughs> and so when this early time frame in the eighties and and even early nineties, mm-hmm. were you come
1: to Santa Fe every summer and do shows? Yeah, I did all these this show. uh uh-huh. Uh Don Show is the only show that there was. And um you know, you'd set up at La Posada or you'd set up in wherever in your hotel room. That was the fun part of it. Mm-hmm. And um, also I have to mention, I did Kim's show, Kim and Don's show in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I started doing that in eighty two, and Wayne um, Coulter and I would do that, and Robert Parson, mm-hmm. and we did that show up until, well, we sort of sp- let it falter. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is the Marin show. Yeah, basically. the Marin show. It's called the Marin show now. There was, yeah, and um, we let that. I let that go because it just didn't seem to carry enough. Momentum. Why?
0: Why do you think that is? Because it ran for many years. Oh like yeah, thirty years. Uh,
1: I think there were two or three reasons for it. One was the tribal art show. There was there's a big tribal art show at the what's the name of that center down by the in San coast. Francisco. Yeah, in San mm-hmm. Francisco. That's at the that San- was two weeks prior. Yeah, and then you had the Indian show right after that, and at the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright Center, and. It just, I don't know whether that sort of helped. And with respect to Native peoples and the contemporary art business, he supplemented native material, contemporary Native material, into the antique material. Mm -hmm. And I sort of think that might have had an impact on things.
0: In, Uh, In what respect?
1: Well, people came to see antique stuff. I see. And they didn't come to buy contemporary mm-hmm. material and um i think it got to be as much or more contemporary stuff as mm-hmm. it did because i went to one of his shows in santa monica and it was almost all i mean there were a lot of um native people there with their own stuff
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah he's probably looking for that new market too
1: it could have been yeah. yeah but but that market is a big market but my market wasn't it. I, yeah. I, I, you can't keep up with all the facets of the diamonds. I mean, you've got uh, weaving, pottery, baskets, um, jewelry, kachina dolls, um, all this stuff that you've got to know all about. Right. You, if you do specialize, some people specialize. But I've been lucky enough to be able to absorb a lot of material in my mind, uh, information about all these different things. Right. and. Um, contemporary native art just wasn't one of them yeah you were more
0: interested in the historic right yeah exactly and you still focus primarily on that exactly yeah yeah. and so how do you see things have changed you've been in this business as long as anyone really
1: well um people got old (laughs) Uh, lots of materials coming back out on the market from collections that are going into auction houses sometimes you get floods of material that sort of inundate the market to the point to where it's not what it was there's no young people coming up in it there's a lot of political things going on that have held people back from buying young people primarily Mm -hmm. Uh, the young people and there's nobody to buy the fours and fives anymore everybody Mm -hmm. wants tens and elevens. yeah and the middle of the middle of the road the middle of the road stuff is just not saleable. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's a lot of auction houses that will do it, mm-hmm. but um, it's not profitable. Uh, I mean, I've got a 300 square foot warehouse full of boxes of stuff I'd love to see go away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, there, there's ways. There's
1: ways. Yeah, there's ways.
0: And what do you find to be the things that you've enjoyed the most as far as this
1: business? The material? Love the stuff. Mm-hmm. I always have. The people? Uh, the dealers mm-hmm. and the collectors, a lot of them. You know, some of them are better than others, but um, the integrity of the people that are in the business, 98% of them, uh, the joy you get out of doing what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, It's like any business. If you enjoy what you do, you live well. Yeah, I think
0: that's yeah. true. For sure. yeah. And there's probably been some mentors along the way. Who would you think uh, has done that kind of?
1: Oh wow! Well, Bob vandenberg has been a big influence on me as far as integrity goes, and and just generally being honest about how you conduct business. Mm-hmm. And his knowledge is just yeah bound. Yeah, we'll have Bob on. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> and um, oh gosh, let me think. Um, I, I mean, I wish I could. I can't. Nobody jumps to mind other than that. But I'm sure there have been been lots of people. You know involved in this business that I, I would take my hat off
0: to. Right and do you do you see working in Dallas do you see there's still an interest in Native arts because I mean when you think of Texas at least I think of Texas I think that that's something they're really interested in the West. Now no,
1: you'd be surprised. Yeah that's uh, what I want to know. Uh, it's not it's the interest is is not there uh there's a young fellow that tried to do a show down there and um just because this is my take on it just because the history is there in the area doesn't mean the people are interested in mm-hmm. um, particularly native american material he was trying to do native material and western material mm-hmm. spurs bits stuff like that saddles and it just didn't work mm. just didn't work people couldn't come. Now, there's a lot of reasons why people don't come to a show. One of them is it costs $10 to park, it costs $10 to get in, it costs, you know, this, and it's sort of like almost going to a cowboy game before it's over with. You know, you, you can't take your family to something. Right. Like well, that. Was this, Brian, LaBelle show, yes, this Brian LaBelle's Yes, yeah. it's Brian LaBelle's Old West show. I did, didn't know whether you're supposed no, to. No, no.
0: Well, you know, and I think Brian figured it out and it's kind yeah. of interesting, you know, you made well, Brian's
1: this- done really, really oh, well yeah. with the um, Mesa show the old west, yeah. you know, the high noon thing, and, um, and he was and in, in well. Santa. He was in Cody, and then he <laughs> yeah. was yeah. And he was in Denver, and then he moved to Fort Worth, and yep. and uh, then he's now he's moved back to Santa Fe, which is you know, are his headquarters. Right. So I, well, think, I think it that, comes, that makes sense.
0: I think it comes back to right what you said early on. You know that people want to come to Santa Fe from Texas. Pretty Dubai, much. Right. Pretty much. And so he started doing his June show in Santa Fe, mm-hmm. and as I
1: understand, it's been it's been very successful. successful. I did it. <laughs> I did it in part the last time, which was a month and a half or two yeah. months ago, June, I think. And um, I didn't do it last year. And I had to ask somebody to let me have some of their booth uh, so it- I could do it because it was so successful. Yeah. But I thought it was too close to Indian Market. Yeah. So I didn't do it. But turns out that particular summer, um, I was unable to participate in any of the shows yeah. for personal reasons. So yeah. Um, Uh, I didn't go anyhow, but apparently it's been quite successful. I'm glad for him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so where do you
0: see your future
1: in this business? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to do it as long as I can, you know. Um, um, Sort of like um, Tom Petty says, you never slow down, you never get old. Yeah. You know, I'm going to try to do it as much as I can for as long as I can. I enjoy the material. I've still got some left. Yeah. You know, my kids could care pardon me, less about... They like some of it, you know. My son, not so much. My oldest daughter has picked out a few pieces that she'd like to have. My youngest daughter likes the material, but, you know, she's... um, She'd probably take a few pieces if I gave them to her, you know. Mm -hmm. But but I've still got... As far as I'm concerned, at my age, I'm feeling good. I have uh i take care of my wife my wife said some health issues but at home i'm able to thanks to the internet i'm able to conduct business mm-hmm. do things i don't do any appraisals anymore i used to do a lot of appraisals and i quit doing that there's two or three reasons for that liability and a couple others
0: mm-hmm.
1: but i still get calls I still have clients that call me and say, Hey, remember that Cheyenne dress you sold me in nineteen, you know, uh-huh. eighty-nine? Exactly. I said, I think I want to get rid of that, you know, the, Unfortunately the market hasn't held up yes. in some things. It has in some, but not in all. Yeah. So things like
0: jewelry, I think. Jewelry right now very, seems to be the, the
1: the best piece market that there is. Yeah.
0: And but you're still buying. <laughs> I still buy
1: because I still see. I don't buy it because it's cheap. I don't buy it because I think I can make money. I buy it because I like it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've got a lot of things I like.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing. You know, you're kind of winding down as far as maybe age wise, but nothing else has changed because you're still buying. You're still doing everything you ever do. I'm trying
1: to be very careful how I conduct my business yeah. well, as far as uh, the dollars and cents of it go. Oh. It's, uh, there's a lot of issues at the moment and I'm, I think everybody needs to be cognizant of sure. things. Yeah. That are going on.
0: Though no, I did notice you had a bracelet that you picked up this <laughs> morning. <laughs> I got out, I got
1: got into the chair and pulled a bracelet out of my pocket. I bought this morning at the show. Yeah, you you know you just you never learn. <laughs> I think that's
0: kind of summarizes Native American art could dealers. Be, you know they really love this material. Yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing. That's the reason we do it. I mean, yeah. we do it because we we can make a living at it. Some of us um, over the years, it's just. Uh, You learn a lot of stuff about this thing. You see something different, new, and it's cool. And And the culture. Yeah, and the culture. And the history. The culture is neat. I knew a lot of uh, Native people when I was growing up and uh, um, sort of grew up in some of that environment. And and I like the people themselves, not any particular tribal affiliation or anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, My grandmother went to Eufaula Indian School down at... uh, uh, Creek School uh-huh. in Southern Oklahoma and taught in the Creek Nation schools in Muskogee and Mounds and Okmulgee mm-hmm. back around uh, turn of the century. Uh, mm-hmm. she, she rode a buckboard from Kentucky with a pistol in her lap to uh, Eufaula, Oklahoma in 1898 mm-hmm. and went to school in Eufaula, graduated in 1902. I want to see. And uh, we found her, all her teaching stuff. Um, it was sort of cool, really. Cheely McIntosh was a principal chief then. And somehow or another, Quanta Park was involved in that thing. Now, he must have had something mm-hmm. to do with the school system in Oklahoma. At the mm-hmm. time. But his he, the his name man. was there? Yeah, exactly. Like, and, um, and then she met my, dad, my granddad in 1907, and they got married. That was statehood. Yeah. yeah. And um, anyhow, that's that side of the family. Anyhow,
0: all right. Well, I know you probably want to get back.
1: No, this has been fun. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> we, we've been trying to do this, whomever's out there. Yeah. we've been trying to do this for two weeks, and yeah. I haven't been able to do it because it's it's been a it's been a good show, I have to say, uh, with respect to um, Kim and John and and uh, Blake, who also works very hard at this. Yeah um this has been a good one yeah no people are still interested yeah.
0: in this material yeah. and new clients are coming in and right you know one of the reasons i do this podcast is to reach other people out there that go oh
1: i might really be interested well this in is this. really nice of you to do this i mean maybe nice isn't the best way to do it you're perpetuating history yeah in a way you're part of that history yeah and yeah, yeah in a way i guess i yeah, am you are yeah
0: first bought your first piece in 59 yeah yeah so yeah it's that's, been a while that's now. you it's, know that's 60 years
1: <laughs> yeah don't say it like it, it is though <laughs> sorry but it's true scary <laughs>
0: <laughs> alright we'll, right. we'll let you go Thanks, Michael Mark. McKissick Appreciate Waterbird it. Traders thank you very much Enjoy for it. having us on alright alright that's not hard right nah that's good though
1: well, you did is just talk I know right